Hi, I'm Mike Hatton, and for over 20 years, I've been in a management role that saw me working with other managers from entry level up to and including the C-suite. The experience gained have positioned me to help many other leaders manage the stresses of not having enough time at work, not having enough family time, neglecting their health, and many other challenges magnified by the recent pandemic. I founded Human Cornerstone Facilitations, LLC in 2008. It was based on the need to help managers improve their productivity and that of their team. I would like to show you the roadmap to becoming a great leader by harnessing your team's strengths. Welcome to my show, Cornerstone, where the foundations of leadership begin. Hi, my name is Mike Hatton and welcome to my show, Cornerstone. I want to thank you for watching today. This is a show about leadership where I have people who have shown a tremendous business acumen and a passion for uh, growing and building businesses. Today is no exception. I have a guest today that I think you're going to really enjoy. His name is Dr. Joey Spears. Dr. Joey Spears graduated as a doctor of chiropractic in 2010 and soon after opened his first practice. Within five years, he had four clinics and over 150 employees. And uh, during that time, he owned and operated four pharmacies as well. He operated a laboratory and he recently sold his practices and pharmacies in 2021. And during that time, he has started a medical device technology and distribution company. Welcome, Dr. Joy Spears. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. And yeah, I'm excited. I love uh, what you've been doing and I'm, I'm truly humbled to be a part of it. So thanks for having me. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, we'll just start right off and dive right in if you like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always like to find out a little bit about about your background. Like, where did you go to college? Where did you go to chiropractic school? Yeah, I went to uh, my undergraduate at Washita Baptist University, um, a little school in Arkadelphia, Arkansas. Uh, Division two, played soccer there. That's what took me there, and then. Um, went to Parker College of Chiropractic, but I had a little bit of schooling in between there, um, if you count it, but as a school of like hard knocks, learning life, you know, um, I actually left OBU and went and worked at a, um, at a chiropractic office beforehand, because I was like, look, if I'm going to go to Cairo school, I need to dig into this and see if it's something I want to do the rest of my life. And I fell in love with it and came back, uh, um, actually graduated Parker um, College of Chiropractic and went back to that same clinic I worked at. So, uh, but yeah, that was the beginning of, of that. But I knew right away that I wanted to open my own clinics, but I wanted to go back and learn a little bit more um, working in the workplace. So, yeah. You are one of the few, and I don't know the percentages, but one of the few people who moves from just having an office practice into actually growing what I would call an enterprise. Um, and I always like to find out what motivates someone to do that. Was there a pivotal moment when you knew you wanted to go from having an office to expanding and opening more offices and more offices? Yeah, I think a part of me always knew that I wanted more than one. And uh, one of my influences and, I guess, inspirations at a young age was my aunt out of the Chicago area. My family's all from uh, North Chicago. And they, uh, she was a, a chiropractor. And I didn't really know that growing up. And 
my mom told me, yeah, you know, we grew up going to chiropractors. I'd go see my aunt and I, she was my aunt. She wasn't my chiropractor, you know? And then um, later on in life, I found out that she was a highly successful chiropractor. She treated the Chicago Bears, the Blackhawks, people like in the sports arena. And then I found out really interestingly that I was adjusted as a baby by her. I was actually born um, around the corner here in Garland and um, I uh, had severe birth trauma. I was taken out, uh, they had to do emergency C-section. I uh, was put in this kind of iron lung to help me breathe and the doctors pretty much told my parents like, I hope he is intelligent because he's not going to be athletic. He's not going to have long-winded conversations. He's going to have asthma or severe breathing, respiratory issues uh, for the rest of his life. Just be prepared. Well, my aunt was in town and from Chicago um, to see her first uh, nephew born. And she was like, no, not mine. I know too much about what's going on. I know too much about the, the body. And it would go through a lot of severe trauma being born, come to find out. And she snuck in and would adjust me. And to this day, the doctor that treated me there has this whole dissertation, you know, whole write-up. I'm still like this case study, but she's the one that I found out was adjusting me as a baby. And I rapidly improved and pretty much was able to leave the hospital within like a week of like just having this, they were thinking breathing treatments. And now my aunt didn't get any credit and she wasn't after that, but I still credit her to this day. And she was a major influence. I didn't find out that story until I was 14 years old. And I was like, why did you keep this from me? You know, this is amazing. And she's like, well, I just didn't think you were either, you know, ready for it, but your aunt, I don't know. And then I started really exploring who she was, what chiropractic was, and really what the healing arts were. I mean, chiropractic is a good segment of that. It's not the end all be all. I'm not one of those, but I think it's really an investment in your health. And that's why I went down that route in chiropractic. And my whole goal was, how many people can I help like that? My story, and I knew one clinic wasn't gonna be enough. I knew myself, me influencing, my goal was a million people. How do I affect either directly or indirectly, I my own hands or my own expertise or people that I employ? How do I affect a million people? That was my goal. Um, and I knew it couldn't just be me. So that's, I guess, really why the goal and hearing those stories and finding the, not necessarily next kid out of ICU, but uh, who can I influence? And it was all about the stories and mission for me. Um, but yeah, that's what I guess my motivating factor was at the beginning. That's, uh, that's interesting, especially the part that she would sneak in and adjust you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, without the knowledge of, of the other doctor. Now, did yeah. he ever find that out? Did you ever tell him? You said he used your case study now. No, it was like a, we found out later that my parents got sent the letter and got sent this research and we, they had to sign off on it and they just said, okay, you know, cause it was, you know, which one was which they were doing some pretty, you know, very, I'm not saying things wrong with medicine, but they're doing what they knew. Right. But the way in which it happened so quickly, my recovery and definitely the prognosis was not great. And now, I mean, 
I'm athletic. I talk way too much. <laughs> and uh, I don't, I've never had really breathing issues. So I have to, I mean, it's probably a great combination. I'm a big integrative medicine guy. There's not just a one fix, one stop shop. Um, there's multi ways to treat and care for different symptoms. And we're not in this box, right? But they were willing to say, you know what? Yeah, we, we agreed this happened. And that's why they found out there was this research. And, uh, but I, deep down, and my aunt's never asked for anything, you know, it's never one of those, she's not that, but she knows that I know the story. She knows. And that's enough, know. that's enough awesome. for me. Yeah. yeah. But she had multiple practices. That's the other part of it. She had, I think four or five in the North Chicago area and one in Chicago. And she sold it at the, uh, I want to say age of 45 or so. Cause I was always like, what can, I want to go to Cairo school. I want to be a part of that. How can I grow a business? That's a reality. And I think a big part of why there might be limitations on, it's really a mindset. I knew four or five clinics was a reality. It's doable. Someone did it. My aunt was able to do it. And uh, why couldn't I? It was, it was a real tangible thing. And I think that sometimes what separates people's success is their mental limitations, like not even knowing that's a reality. Um, that's like it'd be achievable. And she probably did that at a time when chiropractic was um, maybe a little, a little difficult to grow, a little difficult to create buy-in for certain segments of the, of the community. Yeah, and I've thought about that as well. And I, I, it was, they, they call it the Mercedes 80s of chiropractic because in a lot of ways, insurance was so new, health insurance, and it would pay for, it was kind of an open book before a lot of regulations and limitations on payment and fee schedules and visitations. And um, a lot of people in the healthcare world took advantage of that. And that's where more limitations and regulations came from, which is a good thing. Um, but she was able to, as a woman, in a newly emerging healthcare field with very limited exposure from media, no social media, you know, no hard, no internet even then, you know, what, where'd they get their knowledge? People were, it was all word of mouth. And sometimes it didn't have the best reputation, right? And sometimes it had amazing reputation, but it depends on which segment of the population you talk to. But yeah, that was one of the things as well as people now more than ever are more educated and more open to different healthcare models and practices. I think it's easier to be successful right now than it definitely was then, um, as far as just that learning curve and technology and knowledge-based experience. But um, yeah, that's why doing all that in that time, in that era, and as a woman, I mean, it, it, it's definitely harder. I recognize that. Um, she was very successful, very, very successful. And that's what definitely pointed me in the right direction. So I, I can tell without even asking you that that was probably, a, she was a great inspiration for you as a leader to, Absolutely. to grow and everything. Absolutely. Uh, was there anyone else that you really looked up to that you see as a mentor or that, that inspired you that just, that you picked up leadership skills from uh, that, that enabled you to open these other practices and grow these teams? I'm a big believer in coaches. I think, uh, I mean, Tiger Woods has a coach, right? I mean, the greatest golfer of all time, arguably. Uh, and he has a coach and he's humble enough to say, I need to work on this and have someone's outside perspective to 
bring me up when I'm down and definitely bring me down when I'm up. That's part of a good coaching. Um, but I had a, I guess, an indirect mentor. He didn't directly speak to me, but in his teachings, it did speak to me. Um, Dr. John Demartini. And he's a chiropractor, uh, but he's more of a life coach, inspirational speaker, not necessarily a motivational speaker, because motivation sometimes speaking outside your value system. Inspiration speaks within your value system. And I think... Uh, I got, at a very young age, I, again, I was probably 18, 19, I was able to get a hold of his information because I knew somebody that would do his editing for his uh, CDs and DVDs and back then. And uh, he was like, hey, you're into this stuff, right? And I was like, oh yeah, I'll check it out. He basically gave me, gave me I come to find out, for free several thousands of dollars of these coaching and tapes and stuff like that and I devoured them. I would drive four hours to my um, university and come back almost every other weekend or so to check on my mom and brother and I would just devour those CDs and and it just really fueled me and a big part of his mission and he was a chiropractor, he was successful, he transitioned from practicing and helping people from a manual physical healing standpoint to more the mental inspiration um, standpoint, but it was affirmation based. It was thinking bigger. It was not having limitations. And that was one of the first kind of like coaching inspiration leaders I was introduced at a fairly young age. That's interesting. You hit on something very key that when I work with a new manager, um, I just heard you say, you are coachable. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the keys when I work with a client. Uh, one of the first things I ask them, you know, are you willing to be coachable? Or do you see yourself as coachable? And, and everyone sees themselves as coachable, but they aren't really in all cases. Yeah. And uh, the, the best results that I get and the best solutions that I come up with people is when they have the realization that, Maybe I'm not as coachable as I thought. And I get them to have the idea and get them to say it. Because if I tell you you're not coachable, you, know, I just, you just put up a wall. And just right. But if you think of it on your own. So that's, that's really uh, a testament to you. Thank you. Now, I'd, same subject, but just switching gears a little bit. As you grew your practices, uh, you obviously must have had some processes in place. Did you use the same process for each Practice, in other words, if you had um, some project management, did you have a process that you followed for that to get through the building phase, or get through the hiring phase, or get through the, uh, you know, the equipment phase, purchasing the equipment on, for the office and everything? Yeah, we actually we adopted the model and brought on a coach that did franchises. Our goal was to franchise actually one of our four clinics that we eventually ended up buying them out of mm -hmm. was a franchise originally. Um, they were um, doing great, then they wanted out. One of them was a doctor and she had another opportunity, so we ended up buying it back from them. But we developed, really had to dial it in because we never franchise, you have somebody's commitment and money and energy and hopefulness and you're promising without promising their success. And we had to get everything from the wall paint color and which walls to the exact floor plan to the couch cushions and 
throw pillows. I mean, you name it. And outside of that, it was always the procedures and protocols and hiring and how they manage and the systems they used as CRMs and communications and paperwork. Um, but we actually started knowing that we were going to have more than one. We replicated everything and tested to see if it worked. And if it didn't, tweaked it, retested with the, with the whole goal and purpose of replacing ourselves, me and my business partner, um, and being able to replace anybody and teaching them and giving them the skills that they could put their job functions and their department or whatever tasks or goals they had and KPIs that they could be replaced. Now, it's a scary thing when someone's employed to say, here's a book on how to be me and you don't need me anymore. <laughs> it's, uh, but we did it with the intention that it was bigger than them. This company was bigger. And if they ever was, you know, moved on or couldn't come in, what would happen to the, our goal and our mission? And it was to help people. And if they were removed, would we be as efficient in helping people? And in a lot of ways also, they knew that replacing themselves allowed them to grow within the business. And that's what we also said, like, look, if you're no longer doing this and you can train somebody to do it, we can grow, you can grow with the business and there's other opportunities and uh, never having that ceiling, you know? Um, but yeah, we had full intention to grow and that's from day one, we knew we needed everything reproducible, replicatable with the same outcomes and how easy we can train somebody and grow that was the intent the the theme i heard through that the takeaway for me is something that i advocate passionately to clients you said you test it mm -hmm. and you you continue to do that mm -hmm. what gets measured gets rewarded that's that's the mantra that i try to instill in people and yeah. i think you proven that uh, very well absolutely that's you talked about the hiring part of it mm -hmm. uh, how did you hire? What did you look for in an employee? <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, well, out of my 150 plus, I forget what exactly, I knew there was 100, because we celebrated, we had 150 employees at one point. Um, it ranged from front desk, hourly, massage therapists, um, to medical directors, uh, specialists, physiatrists, uh, nurse practitioners, PAs, MAs. It was across the board. and. Um, there was different skill levels. There was different, uh, I guess, personality traits we were looking for. There's no cookie cutter, like one person no. that fits every position you have. One of the telltale signs that something that once they got through kind of those initial like kind of screening phases and very, and we tried the Myers-Briggs, we tried you know, all these different, just uh, I didn't, I never really truly understood those just because I could feel certain ways, certain weeks and catch me on a good day or bad day. I'm going to answer it differently. I don't know. It's just, right. uh, it's a little bit weird, but we had kind of, <laughs> I coined it the Kool-Aid campaign. Okay. So they, they drink the Kool-Aid or not. Did they, or were they a part of the culture and do they really buy in or is this going to be a punch the clock type of thing for them, which there's maybe a position for that too, but I would rather have somebody that it's bigger than them, than the money at the end of the, you know, week or month or whatever. And, uh, 
So we indoctrinated them with some short videos, some questionnaires. Uh, we always had them shadow their peers and be mixed into the environment. And uh, at the end of it, we're like, you hire us. Like this is, you're going to be spending a greater part of your life, potentially, I mean, a third of your day um, with us. Would you hire us? Like, you know, do you want to be a part of us? Do you want us to be a part of you? And we kind of flip the script and say, interview me. That would be really fun. You know, go ahead, ask me some questions. Where I came, and then that kind of gives them that power and that control and say, well, do you want the job? Give yourself the job or not? You do it. We're not going to give it to you. It's not something we can give. Give yourself that job. Uh, we'll set the parameters, but you're in control of it. And they'd either buy in or not. And that's what we could tell right away. By this point, we already have known. Um, but yeah, it was always a, a tough one because <laughs> you have different personalities, age ranges, uh, perspectives, uh, specialities. But it was... Never a fun process. I never enjoyed the hiring process, but it was rewarding to see somebody go through that and come out with the adoption of what you have. And they believe in what you've built. And if we could really instill that from the beginning, we knew we had somebody that wouldn't ever leave. That was our goal, to grow them. You said something that I think is absolutely critical in an employee. It's to create the buy-in mm -hmm. that employ to your vision yep. and for them to have as close to your passion as they can and someone who realizes that if this company does well i will do well so yep. i'm invested in it yeah so and that starts with really having a clear vision and story i'm a big believer on the power of story if you can tell your story great good. It's your story, right? But if you can have other people tell it just as well and clear as you, it's not even their story. That's when you have a golden thread of just really good content people believe in. And if you're able to needle that golden thread and weave it all the way through the departments, that is what links everything into a, a beautiful woven structure and a business that will last and endure. And Developing that story, extremely hard. There's a lot of different techniques and tactics, uh, but having it in a way you can elevate or pitch it or have your whole entire, you could walk up right now, hopefully. I'm not there anymore, but I hope. Uh, walk up to the front desk of the clinics and say, you know, what is, what do you stand for? What's the mission here? What's the story? And how do you play a part in it? They should be able to rattle it off. This is what we do, here's where we are, here's where we started, here's the story, here's what I do a part of it. Here's how I contribute. And if they're unable to do that, and sometimes I don't even do that as a, you know, a checkpoint, kind of like temperature check, especially someone new. Um, and uh, it's fun sometimes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's the true, if you're able to have that succinct, and it's easier to explain that to somebody new coming in. Um, but that was a whole process. It took a long time to unweave it, and it changes sometimes too as you grow and and you know evolve. That's that's incredible. You talked about um, the hiring process. Uh, you you talked about you know you look for retention things like that. What about your customers? Now there's something that I've I've heard a lot of people 
uh, who were business owners talk about there's a happy customer and there's a loyal loyal customer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and I think you can see where I'm going with that. Why don't you explain to me what then the people who are watching what you think uh, the difference in a happy and a loyal customer is and how, how you retain them, how you, the retention process goes? Yeah, I, I would say experience. People will come in for your product, your service, your idea, and they already in a lot of ways know they need it or want it, but it's the experience that you've taken them through that made it so much easier for them to realize they need it. And because there's a need and want, you're always balancing in sales and relationships. And I think a happy customer is someone that got what they wanted. A loyal customer got something that they didn't know they even needed. And how do you bring that out? And how do you show them that it was more? An easy example is pain. We deal a lot with pain in the healthcare world. And someone who comes in with pain, they know they want that pain gone. But what is the pain preventing in their life, right? So we always dig in, there's that quality of life. It was that pain point, pun intended, that was preventing them to express and get more. Because pain is very easy to fix um, in a different way. Every pain's different, but it's an easier thing to fix than um, you know the relationship that is being hurt because of the pain. You know, a, a husband or wife that is in pain that comes home from work and is exhausted and more in pain is often at a different place emotionally to handle relationships with their kids or with each other because they have pain you know and the pain's very uh, it's a very real thing so it might be the person can't they can't enjoy golf together anymore they can't enjoy tennis or they can't enjoy the hikes with their grandchildren or things Absolutely. like that because of a, of a knee or a back pain or neck pain or something like that yeah there's a the seven areas of life you know that list them off but usually there's a hierarchy people put family you know, pretty pretty high um, relationships in, in that as well, not just direct family relationships. There's that social aspect as well. Uh, they put their job really high. You know, how is this affecting their job? Which it reflects, typically reflects in financial. So those are typically the top three, give or take. Just historically, you can throw in health, you can throw in spiritual, you can throw in different, uh, you know, a couple other ones. But the idea is, pain is a nuisance. And that was an easy one. That's why they came and saw us. We identified that. Why do people come in? Let's, let's talk about who we're going to see. Now let's talk about what that really means. We know they want reduction in pain or be pain-free. But what they need from that, what they really need, is something that will create this loyal, it's an emotional connection opposed to a physical subjective so I think that's a big thing for creating that loyal, lifetime, um, raving fan, um, not even customer. They don't have to be a customer anymore. They can just be a raving fan walking around and promoting you and you don't even know it. And that's what I would rather have than a lifelong customer, a raving fan. Because they may come back, they may not. But they will forever remember you changed their life this way. And that's more important than them 
renewing their subscription or something to me. Yeah. Exactly. There are uh, guests that I've had in the past who talk about in uh, building their business, they use like lead generation services or mm -hmm. search engine optimization. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned CRM. Mm -hmm. uh, do you turn to anything like that or do you just simply do this through... Uh, uh, you know, good old uh, pound the pavement footwork. <laughs> we started off, I mean, I, that's a whole other story, but shoestring budget, uh, our first clinic. I mean, literally, like, it was very, very tight. I borrowed money from my grandmother and uh, paid her back. And I was like, the happiest moment ever. <laughs> but uh, For her or for you? <laughs> she was not happy I got paid her back because I was paying her monthly and she loved seeing that come in. Oh, okay. And it was strictly interest. Not even principal. That's the way she was. So oh, I was like, okay. okay. Uh, compounded even. I don't know. She was, she was pretty vicious. But uh, no, I paid her back and I was super happy for both of us because that meant to us a, a level of success that we could be debt free. But anyways, we started off paving, um, pounding the pavement. We did grassroots. We did employee appreciation days, pamper days, where we went out and did things at their offices. And then we did, you know, uh, we went to every town meeting, every town hall, one of those. And eventually that becomes obsolete because you've exhausted a lot of those resources and there's no greater resource depending on your reach in your area than online and than the interwebs right it's just like you can reach so many people so much faster uh, with social media and, and and just google all those things but yeah we used a ton of we had search engines you know adwords we had um Social media is where majority of where ours came from. We were able to put uh, promotions out and encourage followers. And then um, people opted in. We had a full automation system, opt in. We actually had a call center. We eventually, in our corporate headquarters, we had a whole dedicated, I think at one point, 10 or so people. And all they did is call new patients. That was it. We had a lot of volume. Um, we offered a promotion to come in, then we offered more if they qualified based on their medical needs. And uh, our promotion was really good. Um, and we also were able to attract the right people. But that took years. I mean, we're talking, I mean, wish marketing. Marketing is not my forte, but processes and once they come in. But if you're able to attract a better qualified candidate, and really refine your message and have the right keywords and all the, it takes so much time to refine that. And then it changes, <laughs> that's marketing, it changes again. Uh, that word's not working anymore, this is, but the better qualified you can get in the, the door, the more efficient, the less expensive. And uh, you know, as far as time and energy to process that person is, is the better. So I didn't know so much about the back end you know, pay-per-click volumes and this and that. I don't know those. I don't know click-through rate. I don't know any of that stuff. I don't even know the images we used or what cool drop-downs. I don't know. But the messaging is what I worked on and making sure that people got in the door, got to us that first, that knew who we were and what and a succinct message, but also could we help this person? Would they qualify once they come in the door? I think that was the big key. And then when you got them in the door and you got them qualified, that's where it becomes important 
for your team building. Mm. And this is what I try to instill in my clients so much that when you get them in the door and you try to instill in them that it's up to them to create a happy customer, but more importantly, the uh, the uh, loyal customer that mm -hmm. we talked about, because that keeps that right customer happy, loyal, and coming back. Absolutely. Yeah, once they're in the door, they've agreed that there's something they want. And it's your job, I think, especially in the healthcare field and other fields, I mean, that still improve quality of life and all those things. It's your job to, and this may seem salesy, but it's your job to find what's bigger. What's this going to achieve? What's the need? What's the benefit? That's just what they think. Some people and very few will come in and say, I'm in this pain because I can't do this and I want to do this now. I need to. And um, you're like, okay, thank you. <laughs> That's great. Thank you for telling me because I now know what our goals are. And, um, and the same thing, I think every service, every product, every idea that can show a level of improvement in someone's, some area of their life that needs to be identified. People are so kind of like, this is what it's going to do right now. But think about the long term. Think about what's preventing. What is it, what's this taken away? What is this, you know, in a way, inhibiting them from being their full potential? Um, and call it salesy, but I, I think it's the best technique on identifying if that person's right for you. Because you're also, you, this is also a disqualifying factor. If someone's like, I don't know, I just want to be out of pain you know that they're, they're not going to be a, a raving, loyal customer because they're going to be upset when they're back in pain, right? They're, they're, they're going to be upset when their linkage to you is not satisfied anymore or you're not doing it for them anymore and they're gone. Or you don't get the exact immediate response that they expected. So I think laying all that out and understanding where the person's at is going to create someone that is really appreciative for the transparency, but also you have goals and you have aspirations and you have realistic expectations set in the front end. That's that's really uh, really sound advice and and very thoughtful. So I'd like to talk about one more area before we begin to wrap up. And the clients that I work with sometimes they are managers within a company or managers within a corporation, but then I also work with owners sometimes too. And owners to a person always, well, I won't say to a person, but a, a large number feel somehow trapped sometimes in the business. And they, they have this business and it's so successful, but now it's consuming them <laughs> and it affects their time. It affects the time with their family, which is where I come in to try to help. Uh, and it also can affect their health, especially through COVID. As we come out of COVID, this is a huge challenge for business owners. I try to talk to them about an exit point. Mm -hmm. uh, you obviously exited. Uh, how did you build an exit plan or what advice would you have for someone about uh, building an exit plan as they start a business? Yeah, it's, uh, I think everybody deep down, every business owner has that fear um, that, and I think it's a little bit twofold. Fear of, will it survive past me? That's like a child. It's like your baby, you help grow and 
you want it to fly out of the nest, but you don't want to go too far. You want to come back or you want to be hands-on with it, but it's like, it, it will it still live past me? And the other part is, what do I do next? Like, I, this is all I know. This is my identity. Uh, it's been this for this many years. And this is, a, if I let go of this, then I am going to be lost. Um, and there are ways to address those fears. And a big part of it is <laughs> really delegation. I, I was running myself ragged, doing every position in every way the first three or four years of the clinics when I had three or four at the time, three for sure. And I was out of my mind. I was miserable. I was sleeping barely. I was eating barely. I stress levels and relationship. I was just married. It was uh, very hard. Um, but I finally was at a breaking point And I said, why am I doing all this? Just me. And I really looked at that. And I kind of told myself a lie that a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners tell themselves, I believe, and I, I know a few that I've worked with. And the lie was, nobody can do it better than me. <laughs> I mean, you've heard that like... I, I understand. And if you're going to do something right, you got to do it yourself. All these lies. Uh, and they're lies because, first off, you, you're telling yourself that. You don't know. You, you, you know, you, it's a... It's an opinion. It's not tested. It's not. It's a theory until you prove it. And also that saying at the same time, I have not prepared my business to not have me. And which one's worse? You know, I, nobody can do it better. Or is that because I didn't teach them? So it's on me. And either way, that falls back. And the exit part comes from you being willing to see your business being someone else's hands and them to make mistakes on your dime. That's ultimately what we're, we're talking about. It's like, you've got to give them the freedom to do it. But at the same time, if they make mistakes, it's because you haven't prepared them fully. That's a reflection of you. It's not them. I think people inherently want to do well with their job. They want to do a good job. And the only reason that they don't typically is it's a process or a system issue. It's very rarely a people issue, what I've come to experience. You might have some bad apples. You know, people have experiences outside of the office and this and that that can bring, been brought in and can sour the bunch. But people inherently want to do well but you've got to give them that ability to do it. But delegation is huge. It's the hardest thing. You've got to kind of swallow and look down and go, okay, yes, you did that, but it's okay. We're going to get through this. <laughs> and uh, showing also, you're not actually the best person to do all those things. I've stepped away and given full latitude. This is now yours. Here's how I did it. I'll train you, teach you. Here's the processes. But how would you do it better? And lo and behold, I mean, the, the way we were able to grow is because I allowed people to have that freedom to make it better and not just put them in this box of here's how you do it. You don't ever step outside, da-da-da-da, um, but how they improve it. And 
I found out I was not the best person at a lot of things. And that was very freeing. And I knew when I exited that I left the place better than I've ever had it. And I left it in some leadership hands that would make me proud was the goal. And as far as I know, everything is still doing well. So uh, yeah, it makes me still feel good, but it can be done. <laughs> yeah. I can't think of a, a, a better way to uh, start to wrap up after hearing that. That's uh, a fantastic story. Uh, I couldn't have said any of that any better to any client that I've ever worked with. And uh, while I might say it a different way, we said exactly the same things that we say to people. So at the end of the show, I always ask the guest, Dr. Spears, Dr. Joy Spears, this is your chance to look at that camera. And I know you've stepped away and you're just taking some time for yourself and to enjoy some things now, some mm -hmm. passions that you have in life, uh, hobby-wise. But why don't you look into that camera and uh, tell someone who has been inspired by the things you've said and who wants to do the things you did today, maybe who could help them, who they could call, who they could contact and how they could contact them. Yeah, I think uh, a great place to start is to try to find somebody in your, in your sphere of influence and try to see where a lot of times they have gotten their inspiration, some leadership, some books. It always starts with who people you know in your field. And then you start kind of exploring that and opening it up. I think one of the things I did at a, at a young age was take a successful uh, business practice uh, or someone out to lunch, someone I consider successful, and take them out to lunch. Strictly interview style, you're paying for their lunch, they're not going anywhere, and just pick their brain. It is the cheapest, most impactful, biggest return on investment for a lunch I've ever had, and start spending time doing that. And uh, there's a lot of books, there's a lot of great influences out there, and they all speak to people differently, but if you surround yourself um, with people that will push you, that will grow, that think similar, then you're bound to grow. I mean, that's just the rule, the laws of nature, the laws of business. And that's something me and Mike share. We're part of a group that uh, push each other, support each other. And if you don't have that, I think community, a lot of times we take it for granted and being a business owner and being entrenched in your work day to day, and then having some family time and very little social time, you realize that you don't have a community of business support. That is the biggest, the biggest thing that I think I missed out on a young age, uh, just young in business. And I found it later and I was like, oh, my mind just opened up and it introduced so many different avenues and schools of thought and people saw things differently and challenged me. And they, I realized I wasn't always right. It wasn't just my way, but find that community. And ideally you're not the top performer in that that community because that means you've topped out that community um, and not just financially and just awareness uh, you know different ways to measure that but find a community that's centered around business success growth and your growth in helping you and uh, and dig in be a part of it be involved in that because you you won't ever be able to replace the time that you spend with the community that will help you be successful um, that, that's one of the biggest things I'd say uh, for people that I don't see enough of. 
They don't have a coach. They don't have a group. They don't have a leadership community that they're a part of. And they want to find it in a book. They want to find it in passing. And it's something you have to invest in. It's a, it's a growth tool mechanism that is real. And it's at your fingertips. And you grow with the people that are excited and actually advocating for your success because your friends sometimes are like ah, a little bit and then family sometimes worse but this is a community that is specifically designed to be happy at your successes and you get to celebrate them i think that's something i missed uh i just got to be a part of and i would always kind of be quiet about my successes in business with family and friends and now i don't have to I get to celebrate them and I get to be around people that celebrate them with me without having any bias. That's huge. Find that group, find that community, find that coach that can direct you. Um, that's huge. That is very huge. Thank you, Dr. Joey Spears. Uh, you've been an incredible guest. Uh, you. You're very authentic. You are very passionate. And it's easy to see that in you, and it's easy to see why you were successful. So thank, thank you for being a guest on the show. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for watching uh, my show. It's called Cornerstone. And uh, I hope you got something in this from this that inspires you and that you can use and help as you uh, go out to uh, become successful in your business world. Thank you. I want to thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the show and found something of value to help with the challenges you face as a leader. Please feel free to share this show with your friends on social media, and don't forget to visit my website, thegrowthfacilitator.com. And while you're there, book a free call with me. We'll see you next time on Cornerstone.